What is crack-a-lackin', Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Pavelli, coming at you without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Frommel. I am, however, super pleased and excited to be joined by Keith Parrish. He is the host of the Fast Break Breakfast podcast that I'm sure you guys have listened to or at least heard of if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, follow uh, Keith and Fast Break Breakfast on Twitter at Fast Break Break, spelled exactly as it sounds. Break is B-R-E-A-K. So at Fast Break Break. He's also the host of the Grits and Grinds podcast. It's a Memphis Grizzlies podcast. So be sure to check that out. You can follow Keith on Twitter there at Grizzlies Pod. So Grits and Grinds at Grizzlies Pod, spelled exactly as it sounds as well. He's on, as you might have uh, gathered from this, to talk all things Minnesota Timberwolves, Memphis Grizzlies. It's been the series that I have said, that Adam has consistently said, we have the the loosest grip on, if we have any sort of grip on it whatsoever. So I'm excited to go into detail about Game 6, about what we've seen already this series. Um, there will be some bigger picture stuff that we need to talk about going forward, but we had I plan to talk to him about other stuff, but it was just so easy to get into detail about this series. So even if you're not a fan of the Grizzlies or the Timberwolves or emotionally invested in this series at all, because you're not a fan of the Golden State Warriors, listen to this podcast. It's great. It's a lot of fun. Usual housekeeping notes before we get started. Uh, remember to rate, review this podcast wherever you get your podcast. If this is your first time listening to us because you are devoted to listening to everything that Keith puts out. Consider throwing us that permanent subscription. We are a modestly insufferable national NBA podcast for all of you stragglers that are here for the first time. So I don't know. I don't know how much of a stronger endorsement I can give. Follow us on all the socials at Hardwood Knox on Twitter, at Hardwood Knox on TikTok, at Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram. Check out our YouTube channel. Also join our Discord. The links to all of these are in the podcast description. I also do post for anyone who's wondering, oh, why would I follow a podcast on IG or TikTok? Or YouTube, I do post original content across all three of those channels a few times a week at the moment. Now, let's get into lots and lots and lots and lots of Memphis Grizzlies versus Minnesota Timberwolves talk with the legendary Keith Parrish. Keith, welcome back to the Hardwood Knox podcast. I very much appreciate you doing what I think has just been your annual appearance at this point, particularly this time of year, though, um, because we have Grizzlies Timberwolves things to talk about and a lot of them. First and foremost, though, how the heck are you? Uh, Dan, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I guess it is annual. I mean, it's not that the Grizzlies always make the playoffs, but they're back and uh, it's been fairly entertaining. I'll say my first question. To you was, <laughs> is that an understatement? Is that? <laughs> I'm just like, I watched this series and I feel like I've seen everything taken away. Nothing fallen in love with it, been confused all in like a matter of minutes and possessions. It's been the toughest. It's been probably the most entertaining first round series for me. It's also been like the most confusing and toughest to get a hold on. If that makes any sense. I agree completely. I mean, it's been, I think from an objective observer, I think you would have to say it's incredibly entertaining from someone like, Inside of it, someone rooting for the Grizzlies and covering the Grizzlies. It's been largely miserable. <laughs> like it's it's been just like the great, fantastic all-time victories. The game three comeback from 26 down and then from 25 down. And then the the game winner where you rally from double digits again in the fourth quarter in game five. The large majority of those games are basically staring at the game and being like, why are the Grizzlies so terrible? This is awful. Like it's awful. And then they start playing well. And then like the Timberwolves begin to collapse and you're like, Hey, we're, we're up three, two, but like, I, I haven't really enjoyed much of any of it. Um, that makes total sense. And I asked you, what would be the one word you would use to describe this series? Uh, hallucinogenic. Ooh, that's a good one. I, I think, I mean, are just drunk. I mean, <laughs> just the, the series is nuts. It's just nuts. Some of the guys like Carl Anthony Towns and Jaron Jackson Jr. at times appear if they're under the influence of something with the decisions they're making and the lack of body and limb control they demonstrate. And then other times it's just like, why is Xavier Tillman starting? Oh, Where wow. did this come from? Or like, why? Like, you know, 
you have Zaire Williams missing open dunks. And it's like, this team was fun in the regular season. And I know everyone said like, that fast breaking basketball is not going to work in the playoffs. And I guess they were right, but the Grizzlies are still forcing turnovers. They're still scoring a bunch of points. They're just doing it in a, like a reckless bouncing off the walls, like car crash manner. It's <laughs> just like, what is going on? <laughs> like, do we give just the Timberwolves credit for this, all these frantic and frenzied games? And then again, the Timberwolves, like they just, they collapse and they do these silly things. And yeah, so this, it's a wild series. I, I don't know what, like, what's the word? What, what would you call it? I, well, like I said, you in the, in the doc was frazzled because. Yeah, that's uh, right. That's a good one. Yeah. And just like, I find myself and I'm not a reactionary person when I'm watching games, but like the amount of audible noises that I've let out or if I'm running my like hands, almost pulling out my hair because I'm like so confused while I'm watching this, I'm just, I'm perpetually frazzled and I'm also stressed out as an objective observer who really doesn't care who wins this series. Uh, and just the jaw dunk in game five was like the perfect example where it was the game was sort of like confusing me. John Morant seemed out of it. And it was, you know, it was later in the night and I was thinking about taking caffeine because of all this work I had to do. He just uncorks this dunk murders Malik Beasley. I'm like running my hands through my hair, like bug eyed. And then I'm just like awake. And I guess John Morant was like awake after that too, as well. Series in like a nutshell. (laughs) Well, so you say John Morant, you know, like he was awake at that point that correctly implies up until that moment, he was asleep up until that moment. I was like, we were, I think all Grizzlies fans were watching this series being like, John Moran is just off. Like he was off in games three and games four coming into this series. He'd had a rough regular season against the Timberwolves. And a lot of us just dismissed that. Like that's just random variance. Yes. He had a few really terrible games. Maybe some of his worst games of the season were at Minnesota. I don't think that's really a big factor in this series. And then you fast forward to this playoff series and we're like, Oh, maybe maybe it is a factor that like he's shooting 29% at Minnesota for the year in four, like four combined games. And then in this game five, you know, he's finally admitted that he's injured. Like he he's, he's struggling with injury and you see him out there. I called it on my Grizzly show grits and grinds. I said, he looked like Russell Westbrook, like current day Russell Westbrook. He, he was something like, I guess I can look up the exact stat before that dunk. I think he was like five for 15 from the field with five turnovers and like had 10 points and nine rebounds, but it's just like all these uncontested rebounds where he's, he's just not being himself. He's not attacking. It, it was like a nightmare. And then also he, you're getting the Grizzlies were getting nothing from Dylan Brooks. They were getting nothing from Jaron Jackson jr. You're, you're down 12 and it was just like, what's going on with our team? Or maybe we're there down 14 at that point, but then all of a sudden he jumps over Malik Beasley and it's like, where did that, where did that come from? This guy had been basically not been attacking at the rim. He'd not been playing above the rim. Uh, he had a, he had a breakaway in the in game four where he just laid the ball in. And it was like, everyone is just saying, okay, this guy's just super hurt. Do we need to just go with Ty's Jones more? Like what's going on? And then out of nowhere, maybe the dunk of, I don't know, was the, was the last playoff dunk that was better than that? I mean, that I, was, I was trying to think about that. I was like, that's a, I, I couldn't think of anyone off the top of my head. That was just he, like, <laughs> he, he connects on that dunk. And it was like, that's the one that we've seen him attempt so many times. There's like five or six posters of him missing that dunk where he tries to, the first one was where he tried to jump over Kevin love. And, and then there's just been more and more of like trying to get bam out of bio, trying to get Anthony Davis. And he finally connects on that dunk. And then from that point forward, he, like he scores 18 points in the fourth quarter. Right after that, he finishes with 30 points he makes all his free throws after that. It's like he woke up all of a sudden and now going into game six on Friday night as an observer or an analyst, it's like, it was jaw. Okay. Like his job back. Was that it? Did he break out of his, his chrysalis and emerge as the fully formed jaw butterfly again? I don't know. So like that, yeah, that one moment was a spark. It was an incredible highlight. And like everything that happened after that, it was like, Oh, John Morant's fixed. He's back. Right. So, I, but I don't know what we're going to see on game six. Cause like you said, this, this, it's been a frantic and frenzied series and he's been horrible all season in games at Minnesota. So yeah, I honestly, no idea what's going to happen on Friday. 
it's almost more alarming if he wasn't injured or hurt. It was like watching Chris Paul in the second game of the Pelican series, or I think it was the second game without Devin Booker. He took like eight shots, just didn't look like himself. And then he comes back and he's, he's like the next game, he's super clutch. It's like, oh, okay, Chris Paul, he was banged up. He's also aged like 80. Uh, John Morant, super young, but then all of a sudden is able to do that, like go from, you know, what, a three to like, you know, to an 11 in just like literal seconds. Well, it was really weird as far as, you know, I guess the way podcasting works and you're always coming up with opinions, just the way the nonstop sports news cycle works is you're always coming up with like, like is John Morant, you know, if nothing's wrong with him, is this John Morant's like kind of playoff collapse? Is something going on where he's going to be a guy who's not like a a 16 game player last year against the jazz? He was amazing. You know, this was like, he scored 30 points per game. Like this year we got used to him scoring 30 points per game. He didn't do it that much last year. I think he averaged like 19 for the year. And then in the postseason, he scores 30 per game. So this year coming to the playoffs, you're like, Oh, he scored 27 per game in the regular season. Let's see play of jaw activate. And it was just, it was all, it was all bad. It was all like, Oh, he's not scoring. He's not attacking. Is this like some issue with him? Like is the moment, too big and so you start running through all those things so like i do hope it was just either injury and some combination also the timberwolves having some versatile defenders like they're putting some bodies on them you know patrick beverly is annoying him at times there's no question but even having well having anthony edwards you know to body him up Jaden mcdaniels is getting a ton of blocks in this series just being a long body and jaws driving into traffic the timberwolves are collapsing and one of the issues in in the first few games was jaw was not passing out of those situations. He was trying to kind of force it. And thus, you know, the, the Timberwolves were racking up a lot of block shots and there were a lot of bad stats, by the way. But so before that dunk went in, the official stats were jaw was four for 12 from the field, two for seven from the foul line with 10 points and, and uh, five turnovers. Who and so then, the and then, and then from, from, from the dunk on, he finishes with, with 20 points, you know, in the final 13 minutes of the game. That's amazing. So maybe this isn't yeah. Des- maybe this isn't Desmond Bain's team after all. Maybe maybe it's like well, I, it might still be Desmond Bain's team, Dan. <laughs> I ask you about this because I heard you talk about it in the latest episode of your podcast, and I was wondering the same thing. And I I just thought it was oh the Timberwolves are starting Jared Vanderbilt. Like Memphis is trying to get away with something while also like downsizing a little bit. Why like can you explain the Xavier Tillman starting or even the Xavier Tillman minutes at points like that lineup is been outscored by 16 points in this series. Like, it's not like it's been super effective. Right. I I, ha- I struggle to come up with the reasoning. Like, I, like, just for people who aren't following the Grizzlies closely, Steven Adams got torched in game one. Coming into the series, the concern was, what is Steven Adams going to do in this series against the Timberwolves? Because he can't guard Carl Anthony Towns. And they didn't want to put him on Jared Vanderbilt in game one. So in game one, he got annihilated. Uh, in game two, he picked up a couple fouls and Taylor Jenkins was like, you know what? I've seen enough. That's it. We're, we're done with Steven Adams. And I think that was the correct adjustment. So mm-hmm. Brandon Clark gets a lot more minutes. Um, Kyle Anderson still plays his normal role in the front court playing like power forward. But Xavier Tillman, who was a playoff or a play in hero for the Grizzlies last year against the Warriors, he got called up. And the idea of Xavier Tillman is he's a much more versatile defender. He can do like big, big switching, big, small switching. Like he can play out on the perimeter. He's an okay rebounder. He's a little bit undersized, but the idea of like Tillman is not going to kill us on defense the way we're worried Steven Adams is. And again, I support all this, but then they start Kyle Anderson and that's the game three where they fall down big to the Timberwolves in the, in the second half of that game, they start Brandon Clark and that's the Grizzlies best five man unit uh, where it's Ja and Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark. And so that doesn't go that well. And also you're continually, constantly fighting foul troubles. I think the theory of starting Xavier Tillman is one, maybe he can sop up some fouls if the referees are calling a lot of fouls early. Two, he's a much better defensive option on Carl Anthony Towns than Steven Adams is. So we'll start with Tillman, even though we are going to rotate in Brandon Clark and Kyle Anderson and play them heavy minutes. My huge problem is, I mean, you pointed out that they're getting outscored. My huge problem is because of the foul trouble with Jaron Jackson Jr., you're essentially guaranteeing yourself you never play your best lineups. Like you, like the best five-man unit can't play because Jaron gets two fouls. And so for in games four and five, the Grizzlies basically go like 11 or 12 minutes before putting five of their best seven guys on the court. And the net rating of when the Grizzlies are playing just their top seven guys 
Like the Grizzlies are plus 25 per 100 possessions. The Grizzlies are dominating when they're playing their best players. Yet Tillman plays the first however many, however many minutes of each half. And he's also rotating back in when Jaron comes back in the second quarter. And I'm like pulling my hair out of this. I'm like, these are Jaron's minutes. You're letting him play. Why are we wasting these minutes? Not having him play alongside Brandon Clark, but having him play alongside Xavier Tillman. So it's quizzical. I like vaguely understand it in theory, but I, I disagree uh, with the decision to do it. I was uncomfortable disagreeing because I do think from moving on from Steven Adams in general, which is, that's a hard decision to make. We talk about this from afar, like coaches can just do this. Uh, it probably made it easier that Steven Adams is Steven Adams. And he's like, fuck it. I just want to win. Like that was the best reaction to being benched ever. Uh, but I, I I've liked what Taylor Jenkins has done. Like when you're talking about the went ultra small, in game five, like having Dylan Brooks spend like longer spans on Carl Anthony town. So when you see like adjustments like that, you're just, I, I'm uncomfortable disagreeing because I'm not as smart as Taylor Jenkins is. Uh, of course. Is physical is the best word to describe it. That was a great word. It's, it's pretty hilarious to have a Grizzlies podcast and to criticize Taylor Jenkins and also, like, I guess all fans, you just constantly criticize your coach. And it's it's especially hilarious this year where people are like, and even me, I'm like, I disagree strongly with this decision by Taylor Jenkins, the coach who won 56 games uh, <laughs> like with this team that no one expected uh, to be that good. The coach of the team with the second best record in the NBA who had, you know, like most people were like, you know what? I think they could maybe make the play in again, maybe an eight seed. And the, <laughs> and the Grizzlies have dominated the entire season. They had like, I don't remember what it was. Is it 13 victories this year of 25 points or more? How many and, without Ja? Like, yeah, and I'm, ja yeah well, they were tw 21 and four without Ja Morant. And I'm like, you know what? I think I have a better idea than the coaching staff. <laughs> Carl Anthony Towns in this series. I, I think Memphis has done, like I already mentioned the, you know, having like smaller guys on the points. And then he's always had, not always, but at least this season, he's had some trouble with double teams. And I think they've taken advantage of that. Do you ascribe to like, and he has been fairly efficient in this series when he's actually shooting. He's dealt with some foul trouble as well, but there are like, it feels like eternities in which he just doesn't get the ball. Are the Grizzlies doing something when he's away from it that I'm missing? Or is this just Minnesota's offense in general? particularly when it has to like actually go through the offense um, sort of screwing up here to where they don't understand how to work when they're slowed down or against a set Grizzlies defense. Yeah, it's a great question. I think we all see when Carl Anthony Towns gets the ball, the Grizzlies are double teaming a lot. There's also not a lot you can do against Carl Anthony Towns at times. We saw the end of the game, you know, that super small ball lineup you alluded to like Dylan Brooks did a pretty solid job of guarding him. But, like, if Carlton Towns wants to shoot, he's going to shoot. And that's one of the things, you know, the Grizzlies win that game despite Cat making some big shots down the stretch, despite Anthony Edwards making some big shots down the stretch. Because both of those guys against a super small lineup can just rise up, and the Grizzlies can't really do anything about it. But as far as, like, the Grizzlies, you know, guarding him away from the ball, you know, the Grizzlies defense is good, one, and... I think maybe people don't think about that. Um, I don't hear it a lot when the Grizzlies are discussed, you know, nationally that they were a top five defensive team in the NBA this year. And it's like, they're playing really good defense. It seems like, and the Timberwolves have these attackers on the ball with Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell. And maybe their first thought isn't to get cat the ball. So I don't know if it's just like, sometimes you're, you're tricking the Timberwolves into being like, hey, you can attack here. Like, here's an option where you can attack that isn't Carl Anthony Towns getting the ball. Like, is that the Grizzlies' game plan to entice maybe more shots from D'Angelo Russell? I don't really think so because, like, D'Angelo Russell is not shooting that much. It's not like he's trying to play hero ball or anything. I just think a lot of it is just the Grizzlies, like, pretty good defense, and they're containing a lot of what the Timberwolves do. This whole series, as far as, like, a, a Grizzlies' perspective, has been how the Timberwolves have contained the Grizzlies and the Grizzlies just haven't shot the ball very well. But I mean, also the last two games were saying, uh, as far as like Carl Anthony Townsend's production, he's been, he's been massive. You know, he's yeah. like what 58 points in the last two games. I've honestly kind of gotten to this, the point of acceptance where like, maybe it is just cats going to get his, you know, and then we have to maybe make sure it isn't a Malik Beasley night and we can contain Anthony Edwards and continue uh, containing D'Angelo Russell. 
I get just, I don't want to use the word angry, but unnecessarily frustrated probably when I just see him in the corner and it's the fourth <laughs> quarter. Or, I mean, the you know, you mentioned D'Lo hasn't really tried to play hero ball, but that final possession for him in game five where there's a mismatch literally everywhere else on the floor and he's just like dribbling into, I don't even think he touched the rim or the backboard on his, his shot. I'm more of, and this is definitely an oversimplification, but given what Towns can do from the perimeter and you're mentioning how he can shoot over guys and given how well he shot on like step back threes, um, granted in modest volume, like just give him the ball and actually have him attack or try to do something because that might be your best option since it does seem like Minnesota's offense. I mean, we've had how many fourth quarter collapses from them. Um, they're the second least efficient team after the other team makes a shot on offense. So when they have to really get into their offense, uh, there's a problem. They're not getting to the rim as much, nearly as much in crunch time. When you look at an Anthony Edwards, when he's attacking, just give it to your best player and see what he could do then. Maybe that's not Towns' mentality, but it does, it confounds me as good as Memphis's defense has been and as good as Towns has been. Um, it just does confound me where it feels like he goes so long without being a focal point of that offense. So I don't, this is, this comes back to the issue of just big men who don't necessarily create their own shot. And I don't know what the answer is as a Grizzlies fan and, and someone who's not a Timberwolves expert. If it's just like, Hey, this is the end of the game. Let's just throw it to Carl Anthony towns, make sure he touches it. And just like, let's let him cook. I'm, I'm kind of fine with that. Like, I feel like with the bigs, the Grizzlies are playing, you know, with Kyle Anderson, with, uh, Jared Jackson Jr. If he's on the court with Brandon Clark or even with like a Dylan Brooks, like, is he going to dribble into a jump shot? Like he might make those because he's, you know, one of the best shooting big men of all time. But like him creating off the dribble is not his strength. And I do think I, I trust either the Grizzlies defenders in that situation or to bring a double team and force him to pass something he's, he's not very good at. I find myself more scared of the Anthony Edwards creating those mismatches. Maybe that's just a, a weird um very biased fan perspective. Like that guy gives me anxiety. I don't know exactly who can keep Anthony Edwards from getting to the rim where Carl Anthony Towns as amazing as he is. And if again, if he stands behind the three point line and just bombs, I don't think the Grizzlies can affect him. You just have to like hope those, those shots don't go in. But like if it's crunch time and you're throwing it to cat, I don't think that's the strength. And I think that it might even be advantage Grizzlies, but I I'm not sure. Again, I'd like to point out again, these coaches, I guess, do no more than me. That is fair. And I did see people calling for like more post-ups for towns down the stretch. And I just don't think that's going to be the most efficient option. Yeah. Bring it on, bring it on, Dan. Go, go <laughs> ahead and post up crown. That was not what I was calling for. Uh, another big, this one from the Grizzlies, Jaron Jackson, Jr. My question, I'm going to phrase it thusly. Does he have like vacation plans or something during the second round? <laughs> I is he trying to get out of there. I'm just looking at him. The offensive struggles, like whatever, fine. Some of just the fouls, like some of the offensive fouls. I know he's had some, like, there are some iffy calls, um, but just like. Not even. Not even iffy calls. Every call was legitimate, and, and his fouls I, are terrible. They I are terrible the, fouls. I thought some of the ones around the basket against Towns were okay, but, like, you mentioned this on your podcast, too. Like, he is just recklessly contesting these, like, jump shots. Is he, I don't is get he too it. excited? Like, is he just <laughs> too fired up? Excited. Like, I, I have a, a seven-year-old, and. In Nashville, we have a Lego store, okay? And that place is like, it's just insane. And like, I, I lose my mind when I go to the Lego store. I can't imagine how my seven-year-old reacts. And so like, before we go to the Lego store, I tell my son, hey man, you, you, you got to keep it together. Like, you, <laughs> like, like, like we're going we're gonna to be calm. We're going to walk in. If you see something you like, you could point at it. We're going to talk about it. But then when we actually get in there, no, nothing I said works. He's banging into things. He's knocking people over. I think that was that Jaron Jackson Jr. going into the games where he's like, listen, I got to control myself. I got I got to I got to keep my limbs close to me. When I drive, I have to understand that Jared Vanderbilt or Jaden McDaniels or Tarian Prince or whoever's on me is going to fall down. I'm going to drive to my left and they're going to fall down. I need to not do that. And once the whistle you know, to start the game goes off. He just forgets everything. He's like, you know what? I'm 20 feet from Patrick Beverly. What if I tried to block this three pointer and fall into his feet? It's like, <laughs> it's every game. It's like, what are you doing? Or he's committing offensive rebounding fouls. Like you can't do that. Why are you pushing this person in the back? Or like, Hey, you're, you're hand fighting with Jared Vanderbilt. 
Well, like, what do you do? Do you not understand the entire point of Jared Vanderbilt right now is to get you a foul? And game five was was particularly hilarious because Carl Anthony Towns, who are essentially having this who can make the worst foul foul off there. They've started like both falling down when they run into each other. They are. This is a thing I can't get my head around as someone who was not good at basketball, but still played competitively in like church leagues and rec leagues and liked winning. At what point do you decide? Hey, you know what? What if we both run into each other and let the referees sort it out? That sounds more preferable than just playing basketball. Like Carl and these and Jaron Jackson Jr. are running into each other, both flopping and being like, hey, this is the fourth foul on somebody. Let's just see what the refs do. I, I don't understand how either one of them finds that preferable than just, I don't know, not doing that. Is there any overarching concern there with Jaron Jackson Jr.? Yes. Especially given like the like not even that, but just his <laughs> offensive performance. Even if you're trying to scale ahead to the next series, or there's part of me that figured it this way: there has to be one game this series where he doesn't have at least four fouls or five fouls or six fouls, right? Like maybe it's game six. Like maybe we're just overdue for Jaron Jackson Jr. to not be in foul trouble and to not look at his minutes like in the game log and be like. Holy crap, like how how much potential does the Grizzlies leave it on the table because they can't have Jaron Jackson Jr. on the floor? Well, so there's a couple things here. Um, one, he's only fouled out of one game. Right. So, coach, I know, uh, Penn educated Ivy League man Taylor Jenkins, who, you know, coach of the year candidate, humble podcaster suggestion, you can actually leave him in until he fouls out. Actually, I think he maybe he's fouled out of two games, but like you, you, you can still let him foul out of every single game. Don't finish the game with him having five fouls, having played 20 minutes. Let's, let's use all the fouls. Um, another thing is when Steven Adams is not playing, when Jaron is the five, his foul rate skyrockets. That's something that did happen in the regular season. So there is something to the fact that when he's not playing alongside Steven Adams, he does foul more. To your question, is it concerning where I screamed? Yes, it's incredibly concerning. I don't know what you're supposed to do with this guy who makes these fouls. To And again, reiterating, he's not fouling guys at the rim. He's not fouling guys blocking shots, protecting the basket. He's fouling the guys on offensive fouls. He's fouling three-point shooters. He's he's committing illegal screens. He's doing all the ones where, like... It Falling seems like you can Prince pump. Fakes. Yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> can. Yeah. 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 The pump fakes like you can choose not to do these things. I mean, I'm sympathetic to a pump fake, even if it is Tarian Prince, but like a lot of the fouls of his 26 fouls, I would say 18 of them are the what in the world, man. <laughs> like, like, don't you understand? You can't do that. So yeah, I'm highly concerned. Um, it, it definitely affects his offensive game. He's been extremely sporadic and not good on the offensive end. I find it concerning because last year he was also very erratic and and or poor on the offensive end in the jazz series last year we had the whole excuse he missed basically the whole year he was out of rhythm we figured okay he's not going to be this bad again but now we're in the second postseason where i feel much more calm when like kyle anderson's on the court and until until jaw became jaw in game five it was like all right, if jaron's bad and jaw's bad we're just going to lose like we're just going to lose to the seven seed because those are the Grizzlies guys. And then you get in the interesting like team building philosophy where it's like, do we bench Jaron and Ja for Tyus and Kyle, who are both unrestricted free agents after this year? Should we not play our 22-year-old's cornerstones of the future? And I don't know the answer to that question where it's like, if you're determined that you might have a better chance of winning without Jaron doing his, I don't know, bull in a china shop slash gangly giraffe in a lego store just knocking into everything i you know i i don't know and again some of that's also just like the dark places the mind of the fan goes where you're like why are these guys so bad um and i do want to give the timberwolves credit like they've been a frisky defense all year they're, they're getting under the grizzly skin but that was a very long answer to be like, yes, it's incredibly concerning. It honestly lowers the ceiling a little bit of like the Jaron Jackson Jr. talk. We as podcasters were trained to remind ourselves he's one of the youngest players in the league still. Mm-hmm. He, he's he's a full year younger than Herb Jones. Like this guy is an incredibly young player. I know he's been in the league for a while, but maybe he'll continue getting better at it. We saw the foul rate plummet in the regular season. 
it's absolutely skyrocketed in the postseason. And yeah, I mean, he's still leading the playoffs in blocks per game, just like he led the NBA in blocks per game in the regular season. So the defensive impact is still there. But for the Grizzlies to be good, for the Grizzlies, if they take care of business and win this series, for them to compete with the Warriors, he has to be good. If Jaron's not good, they don't have a prayer. And we've seen him for most of the year be quite good. But uh, I'm worried. I got to be real. I'm worried about it. This is less concerning. Who is the who has impressed you more? And I don't want to use the word surprised because I think there's a clear answer there. But who has impressed you more this series, Brandon Clark or Desmond Bain? I feel sad I can't say Brandon Clark, but the answer is Desmond Bain. Brandon Clark's been amazing, but Desmond Bain's been like all NBA level. This guy was on a heater uh, for a lot of the regular season. He finished the season incredibly strong, and then in this postseason. I mean, he's averaging 24 points per game. He's making like four and a half three-pointers per game. He He's shooting 50%. He shoots 50% from three for the entire season in road games, which is just that a, rid- not know. Which is a ridiculous stat. Yeah, he's a very, uh, let's call it mediocre, I think 39% at home. He's 50% on the road. He's, he's also playing lockdown defense. He's become this incredible defender in his rookie season. It seemed like his two issues were, all right, he gets a little bit lost on defense and maybe his ability to guard one-on-one isn't, isn't really there. Also, his ball handling is pretty loose. He doesn't seem like he's ready for, the, for NBA speed when it comes to ball handling. He tightened all that up this year. He's a very worthy, you know, most improved player candidate. He has the trophy, despite the fact John Morant winning. Uh, John Morant gave Desmond Bain the trophy. But in the postseason, he's just, he's carried the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies would not be ahead 3-2 without Desmond Bain. The series would have been long over. If Desmond Bain wasn't cooking, I think in the last four games in the first halves, Jaron, Ja, and Dylan are combined under 30% on field goals. Meanwhile, Bain's just knocking down 60% of his threes, carries the Grizzlies until his teammates wake up. He's been amazing. I mean, I don't know what more you could ask for the guy. He's, I think his, his splits in the playoffs are 48, 47, 90. And his regular season splits weren't far off of that. It was something like, what, 45, 43, 90? This guy has become one of the best shooting guards in the NBA. I mean, I mean, bar none. He's like that, whatever, that tier below your legit all-stars, you know, scoring almost 20 points per game, making 45% of his three-pointers on massive volume. Shout out to the Celtics. Um, yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah, he accounts for over 40% of their three-point makes in this series. And I know that's not the Grizzly strike. If you were going to pick someone who did account for such a lion's share of their that's still, it's, it would be Desmond Bain. That would be the pick, but that is still an astronomical share of their threes. He's been great. I've been definitely most impressed with him, floored by Brandon Clark almost all year because you go from the rookie year expectations into a sophomore season that was, I think the kindest way to put it would be weird, but seemed like flat out terrible to where you were wondering if Xavier Tillman had a bigger role moving forward. They experimented so much, it felt like with his jump shot that I compared to like, buffering dial-up internet when you were watching it and then he comes in and he has like a strong year this season and now he's playing this mission critical role in the playoffs because that fourth quarter I know the jaw three in game five is going to still receive most of the attention along with the dunk that has to be like one of the most electric tip out assists I've ever seen from anyone that Brandon Clark had on that play yeah Brandon Clark was the somewhat unsung hero from game five because when they go to that super small ball, if Brandon Clark was the only big on the court, and clearly that hampers the Grizzlies one of their best abilities, which is offensive rebounding, it didn't matter. Brandon Clark got seven offensive rebounds in that fourth quarter. He did it all by himself. I mean, he finished with twenty one and fifteen. He's been awesome. Like the dream of Brandon Clark from year one, yeah, it, it's been fully realized in this postseason series. He had a great. He honestly had a really great season. He had a, he shot a better field goal percentage this year than he did that rookie year. Yeah. Whatever they did year two, uh, you, you know, I thought you were going to compare it to like a horrible, like a Island of Dr. Moreau medical experiment on trying to put things together. Like they ruined his jump shot. They tried to build it somewhere weird. So who cares? All right. The jump shot's gone. He just plays as like a big and he's really tough to deal with. He screens and dives to the rim really hard. He affects the defense that way where they have to respond to him. And then just his activity, cutting towards the basket, finishing everything he gets in the paint. He's been consistent. It's been, it's been so like, you know, Bain's been awesome the entire series. 
Clark has also been awesome. They've been depending on Bain, Clark, and Kyle Anderson to be the consistent players when everyone else is all over the board. But yeah, Brandon Clark's fourth quarter was absolutely amazing. And just a monstrous game, like a 21.15 performance. For the series, he's averaging, I think, 16.5 points and 8.5 rebounds. And he's shooting 70% from the field. And they're not all dunks. Those The floaters are back. He's the guy, you know, yeah. yeah, from eight feet away, it's just, it's basically money every time. What do you make of, before I ask you about, like, what you're watching the rest of this series, game six, maybe game seven, what do you make of what seems like the national consensus that the Timberwolves have been slash are the better team and that the Grizzlies are just sort of winning? It's something I will always push back against with, like, no context whatsoever when people frame things that way. But you had tweeted out um, the stat about the net ratings when the top seven players are on the floor. And yeah. my initial thought was, I guess you could argue, like, maybe Minnesota's better at the top because Anthony Edwards is the better, or Carl Anthony Towns, whoever you consider their second-best player, is the better second-best player. but you kind of even rebuke that framing of it. And so I'm just curious what you make of those, those slants. I, honestly, I haven't heard a lot of those. I mean, if that is the national consensus, I, I'm, I feel that way, honestly, where like the Turnbulls have been the okay. better team for the majority of the minutes played uh, of this series. But nationally, I've, it feels like everyone I see keeps like after when it was 2-2, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, Grizzlies uh, Warriors going to be a great second round. And I'm like, this series is not over. What are, what are we talking about? And even the Vegas odds didn't even, they didn't flinch. It, going, going into game five, the Grizzlies were minus 340 favorites for this series. They were minus 340 favorites before the series even started. So from my perspective, I felt like I was super concerned and it seemed like everyone else was like, oh, no, the Grizzlies got them, got them right where they want them. And so like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the point about who has the best, like, you know, two of the top three best players in the series after game one, it was like, do the Timberwolves have three of the top four players? You know, like, <laughs> is D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, are all those guys better than whoever the Grizzlies' second best player is? If that's Dylan Brooks or Desmond Bain or Jaron Jackson Jr. Now we've seen through five games of the series, um, I mean, Desmond Bain's been, I think, the top three players in the series. I guess you could argue Anthony Edwards, but it's been... It, Oh, actually, now I'm getting ahead of myself. As far as performance in the series, best three players, it's probably Cat, Bain, and then Anthony Edwards. But when we think of talent overall, we obviously include John Morant in that. You know, I don't know. I do think at the top of their um, talent-wise, if it is like top three versus top three, it is a very, very close matchup. Um, the Grizzlies, I think, at the benefit because they're four through seven. Even if they only play seven, they're four through seven, are better than the Timberwolves right. four through seven. I mean, Jordan McLaughlin had a big game four where, where he was a huge lift in that one point win. And then like, you know, Jaden McDaniels has been up and down. He's got the block shots, but like his shots been all over the place. Malik Beasley, they cannot depend on, you know, that's just, he's erratic. He's just an erratic player. Yeah. So like, as far as like, when you look at the series as a whole, if you just add up all the stats, it, it looks like the, the Grizzlies are, are taking care of business and, and winning like a two seed maybe should. And it looks like, hey, people pick Grizzlies in six, and this looks like Grizzlies in six. They're winning all the categories we thought they would win. They're winning games even when they don't make their shots. That's what we expected. If you actually watch the games, and it's like, oh, yeah, the Grizzlies covered in game three, but they were down by 25, you know, <laughs> 13 minutes to go. And then you see that the game winner in game five, it's been like, you know, the stats don't show unless you're looking at time ahead and time behind in the series. Um, I'm thinking back to one thing you said about this is kind of off topic about how like Bain is making 40% of the Grizzlies three pointers and how the Grizzlies have really struggled to shoot. Part of that is they're not playing three point shooters. Like our, our guy, I'm including you on this. Our guy, D'Anthony Melton, like his shot disappeared in the postseason again. And he, he didn't play in game yeah. five. And so like, if you're playing all your minutes with Kyle Anderson and Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman, and then if Jaron's not making his shots, those are your shooters. Like, like your, your shooters are going to be Bane. He's the only consistent one. And then you hope Jaron makes a couple. You hope Dylan makes a couple. Tyus Jones has been relatively consistent, but the Grizzlies are making three pointers because they don't play three point shooters. Like that's, that's where we are right now. You hope they can make more than 25% of them, but they're not going to, I mean, they're not going to make 40. I don't think in a game they did already. And I don't think they're going to do it again in this series um, because like the Grizzlies, it's not, I like to say it's not bad shooting. It's bad shooter shooting. 
if that makes sense. Like, yeah, uh, no, it's, sure. not, it, it's not unlucky that we're missing three pointers. Look who's taking the three pointers type of thing. We hope Jaren will wake up, but the Timberwolves should still have an advantage, you know, over the remaining games of the series from the three point line. The Grizzlies have to keep winning those offensive rebounds, uh, those turnovers like they have been. I don't know if it's game five specifically, but it, it feels like Dylan Brooks, he's at 28% from three for the series. And that just feels high for some reason when you're looking at the three-point <laughs> Well, he had a, he had a, he had a great game one. Um, I think after game one, his career playoff three-point percentage was like 47% because he was on fire all of the jazz series last year, but it has come tumbling back down to earth. Dylan with a very forgettable three for 18 performance. Although he did make a big clutch three to get the final run started in the fourth quarter. Like I think Dylan's going to make some more shots. He's clearly one of the Grizzlies' most important players. You know, even when the shot doesn't go in, he's helping on the defensive end, and he just provides that spark. But if he doesn't make shots, and if Jaron keeps on making shots, that sure puts a lot of pressure on Desmond Bain to play perfectly and for John Morant to have to go into hero ball just to eke out a close victory. Final two questions here. Uh, what are you watching or concerned about most or just expecting from the rest of this game six, but perhaps the rest of this series, it does feel like from an observer, 10,000 feet away, that view, it feels like the series is destined to go seven. And I think people have written off the Timberwolves while saying they're the better team, which is like the, again, this whole series is just so ass backwards and has bent my brain. Um, They just assumed that Minnesota was going to lay down after they blew the 25 point lead, they come back and win. And now it's, oh, they did it again. Like, they're done. They're cooked. I definitely wouldn't count them out in game six, especially given just how turbulent this entire series has been. What are you watching for specifically? I think I'm watching for the first quarter of game six. First quarters have been a nightmare for the Grizzlies. They're allowing 35 points to the Timberwolves on average in first quarters, which is just a a ridiculous number. The Timberwolves, to their credit, have shot the basketball insanely well in the first quarter. So, like, you know, that's a how much do we blame the Grizzlies? How much do we give the Timberwolves credit for having a, a 69% true shooting uh, in first quarters of the series? So like if, if that goes away, I feel like the Grizzlies could maybe actually put together a good game. Like I, it's been a very weird series. And I remember previous playoff series where I felt like the Grizzlies, you know, were, were outmatched. So like the final years of the grit and grind, they're playing like the Spurs, we're playing Kawhi and the Spurs. And it's like, Hey, you know, like, if we play perfectly, we can beat the Spurs team, but we're probably not going to play perfectly. And then in other years, at the peak of grit grind, you're losing to the Warriors in six, and you're like, you know what? The Warriors are making more incredible plays. That's the difference. They have Steph Curry, and they're like, they're doing one thing extra. But in all those series, I felt like, hey, this Grizzlies team is coming together. They're playing well. They're just they're playing better teams when it gets down to it. This has been a weird series where I felt like every single game, the Grizzlies are awful. Why are the Grizzlies playing so terribly? maybe it is specifically the Timberwolves can take them out of the things they want to do. But like we thought coming in, all right, the half court offense is going to be terrible. The half court offense has been, it's been all right, but like the Grizzlies are basically forcing on defense, the things they want just when it comes down to like, they're they're just failing on the talent wise, maybe individual performances. If it is Jaron's foul trouble, if it is Dylan struggling with the shot the last few games, if it's job making everyone question, like how hurt is he? He doesn't look like John Morant at all. So like, if Ja Morant looks like Ja, and I'm saying if he looks like 90% of regular season Ja or fourth quarter in game five Ja, if the Grizzlies can like keep the Timberwolves from not getting off to a fast start and just look like themselves, I'm going to feel so much better. So like, I don't know how to quantify just Grizzlies playing better. I mean, they're, they're, they're not even making free throws. Like they were a bad free throw shooting team in the regular season because Steven Adams missed all his free throws. Steven Adams hasn't played in this series and they're still missing their free throws. It's just been so bizarre where the Grizzlies can't seem to ever like put an entire game together. Like they have these incredible defensive stretches, but they, then they refuse to score. And then the offense starts clicking, but they're also giving up a bunch of points. So part of me thinks at some point, the Grizzlies are going to put above average performances on both sides of the ball together, but maybe not. Maybe this is the ideal matchup where the, helter-skelter nature of the Timberwolves and their talented guys, you know, is enough to keep the Grizzlies off kilter the whole time. And we will come back for a game seven on Sunday where, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be nauseous the whole time. I mean, like, I to tell you, man, games three and five, I could barely handle them. We have these watch parties in Nashville and it's just like, I'm just like catatonic being like, why is everything going so poorly? And it's really funny. We, we look at the stats. We're like, Hey man, 
Timberwolves are 11 for 17 from three. It's going to go away, but it's still hard to, it's hard to console yourself when you're in the midst of those barrages and also Dylan Brooks is two for 15 from the field. The thing that I'm going to be watching and to make it a little bit about just the Timberwolves is can they get, and I've harped on their offense here all along because it's been like, they've had great moments from Edwards towns, certain great individual moments, but it's been the Grizzlies done a nice job overall. Can they like are two of their main guys ever going to be going in the fourth quarter at the same time? And by and large in this series, like Edwards and Russell, like they have not shot the ball well in the fourth quarter. Um, And the other thing looking at them, and I do think they've done a better job. The Grizzlies have still been good. They've been the Grizzlies for the most part on the offensive glass. A lot of the time they have not been as good against this Timberwolves crappy defensive rebounding as I've expected. But when Memphis is at least trying to get offensive rebounds, it feels like even on missed shots, they are taking away fast break opportunities by virtue of just being there and around the other bodies that are trying to get the boards from Minnesota. And so like, those are just two aspects I'm watching. Like can Minnesota get in their offense a little bit quicker and like, what are they going to do in the fourth quarter? Because it does seem like their offense is all of a sudden stalling out before the basket a lot more. And then I mentioned, look, Conley Towns leads them in fourth quarter scoring during the series, but it also feels like he goes possessions at a time with it's not like even if he's involved in the action but okay fine there are times where he's just giving the ball right back or like I said that he's been in the corner so I'm very much watching that because it does feel like at least two if not three of these games for the Timberwolves were eminently winnable if there was slightly more consistency or even involvement from their players at the top which is not really a concern that you should technically have yeah, I mean, the fourth quarters have been just an unmitigated disaster for the Timberwolves, and I don't know how much of it is just fortunate. The Grizzlies applying pressure. The Timberwolves not maybe having the playoff experience. Maybe the Grizzlies have just a big boost from being in the playoffs last year, being in the play-in each of the previous two years. But the, the last four fourth quarters, the Grizzlies have won by 52 points. And it's, uh, I think for this series, I, I think this is for this series off the top of my head that the Timberwolves offensive rating in the fourth quarter is like 82 or something. And so the Grizzlies are annihilating the, the Timberwolves in fourth quarters. Part of me, a podcaster, I can fix everything. Keith is like, well, look who's playing for the Grizzlies in the fourth quarter. They're playing their good players. Like they, they're not messing around with like, Hey, we're a deep team. Let's go. Let's go 10 deep in the postseason. They're saying, Hey, guess what? Zaire Williams doesn't play in the fourth quarter. Xavier Tillman doesn't play in the fourth quarter and the rest of those guys, like they can really get into the Timberwolves. You know, I don't know. It's not a formula you want to lean on the, uh, we can be down by 10 points going into the fourth and we'll be all right. Like I would wish we would stop leaning on that formula. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Timberwolves clearly have elite talent at the top. Anthony Edwards, even with that kind of mistake gambling for, the steal on the final John Morant play. He's had huge fourth quarter buckets. He's been a killer. Carl Anthony Towns, like he's been solid. You just got to get him the ball. You know, I do feel like Patrick Beverly, like secretly has, has crushed them in a bad way. Like the term, well, he's, he's made so many mistakes in fourth quarters of these games. I mean, maybe that's just the, that's the limit of him of a player. That's like, he wasn't right. that in demand, uh, you know, in the off season as the Grizzlies famously said, no, you can have him. It's cool. We, you know, no, well, we don't, no, we don't, we don't, we don't need anything. That's fine. Just, yeah, he, he could be on your team. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I do honestly feel like it's going seven, although I guess the Grizzlies fan part of me thinks like we're going to piece together a, a complete game on, on game six and uh, get out of here and be able to move on. Minus, well, I guess this is really the Grizzlies net rating in four quarters plus 35.8, and that's including all five games. Incredible. Very yeah. quickly, who would be your X factor for each team heading into game six and a potential game seven? I mean, can you make... Can Jaron Jackson Jr. be an X factor? I don't like he's supposed to be their second best play. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Well, what are what are my rules? Can it can it be any player like any player on I the think, team? I think given how the series has gone, it literally I would normally steer clear of like the stars, but given what you've seen from Ja, Jaron, even like sometimes Towns or Anthony Edward, like I think in this series specifically, you could pick whoever. It's really funny because, like, you know, X Factor, you think of a guy off the bench, but for the Grizzlies, it's been like, no, no, Brandon Clark's one of their best players, Kyle Anderson has been consistent. Ty Jones has been consistent. They basically graduated from X factor status. Yeah. I'm going to say it's, it's got, it's got to be Jaron. I mean, think on the Timberwolves side, I like maybe Malik Beasley is their swing talent, you know, like yeah. when he knocks down threes, they're really impossible to beat. And uh, outside of game one, he, he's been a little bit of a mess. He, he, he got hot a little bit in game three, but then in the second half, it abandoned him. 
Um, I, I think it's Jared Jackson Jr. Like, can he play 25 minutes? Like, if Jaron can play 25 minutes, like literally, if he can play 25 minutes, I feel like the Grizzlies can win. We'll get we'll win game six. But uh, he he hasn't shown an ability to play that many minutes. Um, man, what a nightmare! Just begging for your best players, like, hey, buddy, could you just maybe not freak out when you get on the court and uh, and try to play like backup backup big minutes? Can we shoot for backup big minutes, buddy? Uh, the Lego store analogy with your with your kid was probably just the single <laughs> best thing I've ever heard it compared to. I think I might go Anthony Edwards for the Timberwolves. That yeah. might be too high profile, but I think they need like him to just constantly be pressuring the rim down the stretch of these fourth quarters where it feels like a lot of their offense is settling. And I do think we have not seen that again in fourth quarter specifically consistently enough. And for the Grizzlies, I think it's Taylor Jenkins and I'm not sure if I'm overthinking this. I just wonder what is his capacity for risk? Because you mentioned, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr., um, why not just keep him in with certain fouls? He's definitely the typical player you can't trust to leave yeah. in in those situations. So what is his stomach for risk going to be in a, in a potential closeout game? And also, is he willing to, like, futz and fiddle even more? Because we talk about their three-point volume. Not playing D'Anthony Melton is not the way to breaks my heart. up three-point volume. Breaks my heart, too. So will he try different things? What's his stomach for risk? Keith? Thank you so much for doing this. This was great. It's always fun talking hoops with you. Were you able to just tell our listeners where they can find you and all the fantastic podcasting that you do? Yeah, yeah. Follow me on Twitter at Fast Break Break. Uh, I have Fast Break Breakfast. It's in in basketball podcast about the entire NBA. And then if you want Grizzlies specific stuff, check out Grits and Grinds. Both those podcasts are great. And also on Fast Break Breakfast, you will be treated to just like epic takes on life, including. One's about youth soccer. I don't think I ever thought I'd feel so strongly about youth soccer leagues in that episode you guys did a while back. And I was thinking, I was like, wow, Keith is like fucking right. Like that is just criminal. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm being scammed with my seven-year-old soccer league anyway. Yeah, check out Fast Break Breakfast for more content like that. Thank you so much, Keith, and I'll be talking to you soon. Enjoy the rest of the series, or at least, you know, I hope you're able to cope. <laughs> no, yeah, it's hard, hard to enjoy, but thanks for having me, Dan. <laughs>